So last week we uh, looked at the beginning of the Christmas story. Um, as, I, uh, as I shared with you last week, this is one of the most difficult uh, things that pastors do uh, is every Christmas uh, and every Easter uh, try to come up with some way fresh of looking at this story because everybody who shows up at Christmas and Easter to church have heard this story before. So in my effort uh, to try and come up with this a different, a uh, little bit of a more interesting way you might not have heard before, uh, we began looking at the significance of the message that the angel delivered um, in the field to the shepherds when she first shows up. The most famous version of the Christmas story is in Luke. We got four different gospels. Two of them give us the birth of Christ story. Uh, Luke is the famous, famous one. And they, the message that they delivered was this, was that the Messiah is coming and that God was going to receive glory through all of it and that man would receive something as well. And that is peace, right? So today we're going to remain in that passage instead of moving on down the, down the narrative. We're going we're gonna to stay in that passage and look at some of the, the subtext uh, that is in it, that makes the announcement of the angels even more astounding than what we made it sound like last week. Now, I want you to try and put yourself uh, in the position of the Jewish people uh, in that time period, because it's really difficult sometimes for us to read uh, these ancient manuscripts and these stories, and we're so in our current culture. It's hard to put your mindset into where they were all of those years ago. Um, so they had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Because they had been told and they had believed that a Messiah was coming, right? And like uh, many of us, they'd become really pretty nonchalant about the whole thing. Because if you've grown up in church, you have grown up all your life hearing Jesus is coming back. Anybody ever heard this? Yeah, Jesus is coming. Now, the first when you're young, the first few times that this might, uh, this uh -oh, we're <laughs> microphone down. Yeah, bring me that one. Yeah. Okay. Am I there? Oh man, I don't feel near as loud. I feel like I got to yell. Give me, <laughs> give me a little monitor if you have to. Um, yeah. So uh, where were we at? Where were we at? Oh yeah, yeah. So if you grew up in church, you've been hearing ever since you were a kid, Jesus come back. Now, when you were a kid, that might have excited you or freaked you out, however you looked at it. But as you grew older and older and older, and you kept hearing that exact same message over and over and over again, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Now you're just like, eh. I mean, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, that's great but it doesn't really mean anything to you. It doesn't change the way uh, that you live or that you affect because it's become such a, uh, 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 you know, we, we hear that, preacher says that, and we yawn, and we think about where we're going to eat lunch after service, right? Like, that's just where it's gotten to. We believe it, but we don't wake up excited saying maybe this day, today, is the day that it's going to happen. And then every so often, uh, somebody somewhere along the way uh, will write a book, talking about they know exactly when Jesus is coming back, right? There was this guy, his name was Harold Camping. He wrote a few different books like this. He had one that came out way back in 1994. That didn't come true. He wrote another one in 2011. He had all of these ideas, all of these signs in the scriptures, point to all the things. This is when Jesus is coming back. Uh, Jesus did not come back. 
uh, in, I remember in 1988, I was in junior high school and uh, there was a book that came out and it was called 88 Reasons Jesus is Returning in 88. And everybody was all, you know, everybody got all worked up and anxious. And well, yeah, I mean, those things he says, they're in the Bible. They're there. This must, this must be it. And everybody get all worked up and mm, nothing happens, right? And then, you know, the person who writes these books goes and deposits all that money they made off the books from all the Christians that freak out over every little thing that a book comes out over, right? Deposits that, you know, into the bank. And then we just go back to thinking about where we're going to eat lunch. Right, and so it's this weird thing. The Jews believed that the Messiah was coming in the same way that most you know, Christians believe Jesus is coming back, but it just had become so commonplace. They were just like, eh. They had a lot of other things to worry about in life. There were a lot of other stuff they had to overcome, challenges that they had to meet, things that, that, that they didn't really have time to be thinking about this Messiah thing so much anymore. Now, 2,000 years before the shepherds, uh, this is uh, where the whole thing started. The whole promise. God had, had promised and then followed through on the promise of making a nation out of the family uh, of Abraham. He had made, he had made Is- Israel, right? And from the time of David, there had been prophets saying, the Messiah is coming, a savior is coming, a warrior is coming, a new king is coming. This is on the way. And during that time period, Israel was a world power as far as the world was when they knew it. And now you fast forward to where they were today. Uh, no longer was it not only a world power, but it had pretty much become just a stomping ground for all of the surrounding nations around it. That pretty much people invaded and took over and did whatever they want with the nation of Israel. So by the time we get to the Christmas story with these shepherds out in the field and the angels, show, angels showing up, Rome had overtaken Israel. They had no autonomy uh, whatsoever. It looked like God had forgotten about the nation because a prophet hadn't given a word from God in over 400 years. And, the, you know, and, and so that's kind of, and to make it worse, all of it, you know, when we read our Bible, that, that Old Testament to New Testament transition, like that's one page flip for us. For them, that was hundreds and hundreds of years of nothing from God and things not going well, right? And so uh, theologians refer to that whole gap there in between the Old and New Testament, the 400 years of silence. That's, That's the name they've given it. So everything that the Jewish people were reading, that was all ancient history to them, ancient history. They did not really believe that God was actively at work on their side any longer. Then suddenly, a group of angels shows up to some shepherds and says, it begins. It begins. That thing that your ancestors have been looking for, right? That that thing that, that you've been told about since childhood that doesn't really mean anything to you anymore, that begins today. It begins today. And not only was this announcement significant, but where they were when the announcement was made was significant as well. Because they were right outside of Bethlehem, between there and Jerusalem, which those two places were very, very close uh, to each other. And they're watching these sheep. And 700 years earlier, the prophet Micah had written these words. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, 
whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. 700 years earlier, before this angel shows up to these shepherds, the prophet Micah said a ruler was going to come from the town where we now are. A tiny, insignificant town outside of Jerusalem, right? People didn't even say they were from Bethlehem. That's how insignificant it was. Uh, Essentially what it was like, was like, uh, you know, uh, people from Polar. Like if you're, not in, if you're not in the Savannah area, if you're outside anywhere else in the world and somebody asks you where you're from, you say Savannah because nobody knows nor cares about Polar, Georgia, right? So you say Savannah is where I'm from, right? And it was kind of the same thing with Bethlehem. Nobody would say I'm from Bethlehem if they were traveling at all. If they were away at all and they asked where you're from, Jerusalem. That's where they would say they were where they were from. So that, that, that's, that's like years. But 700 years earlier, the prophet says, no, from this little insignificant town that nobody says they're from, this is where it's going to begin. And this is where the shepherds were when the angels showed up that night. Now, before we read this, let me tell you how this registered with the shepherds when they heard all of this, right? They had been raised in a culture where they had been taught that through the sacrifice of animals, their sins would be atoned for. Not forgiven, not wiped away, no, atoned for. And here's the difference. Atoned means you're covered for now. You're okay for now. This is gonna get you down the road, but you still owe me. That is atoned for, right? God had set up a system where they could go and they could sacrifice animals, and receive atonement, but not forgiveness because the blood of animals could not bring forgiveness. That was not the system that had been set up. But on this night, the angels said, good news, good news, good news. The savior is about to be born. The day is coming when your sins will not be just atoned for. Your sins will be removed. They will be fully forgiven. That is coming soon is the moment when God is going to look at you through what this savior is going to do and he is going to say to you, you do not owe me anymore. You don't owe me anymore. Now, Luke chapter two, this announcement was significant. Where it took place was significant, right? But perhaps the most significant part of this entire story, the detail that really makes this something is who this announcement was made to. So these weren't just any shepherds looking over just any sheep. Here's what it says, Luke chapter two, verse eight. And there were shepherds living, not staying, not working, living. This is where their life was out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the shepherds. You don't normally keep sheep out at night. That was not the practice. Right? And most scholars agree that because these sheep were out at night and because these shepherds lived out there, they weren't just staying or working out there, that these sheep were the ones that were specifically set aside for the temple sacrifices. The group of shepherds were raising the very specific sheep that were required for people to take to sacrifice to gain that atonement for their sins. And these shepherds and their families lived out in these fields with these sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
Now, the law was, because there were laws about everything, the law was is that you couldn't have that many sheep that close to the city of Jerusalem. They didn't, because you don't want to come across thousands of sheep that have been grazing, right? Normally, there were pens that shepherds would keep sheep in, right? They'd be in there. They'd, they'd take them out, let them out to graze, during the day, then they'd bring them back, load them all, lock them all up in the pens at night, and then they'd go home, right? They'd go home for the night, come back the next day, let them, but these sheep were so important to the whole process of the religious system that these shepherds lived there and watched them 24 seven. Now, here's the amazing thing about that, because that might just be like, oh, well, those guys were lucky. They're keeping the, the important sheep, right? Well, here's the thing about that. So there was a Jewish tradition not a law in the Old Testament. We've talked about the difference between traditions and laws. Uh, but in the rabbinical writings of the first centuries, the rabbis taught that when the Messiah appeared and they didn't picture him showing up as a baby, not the Christmas story. They pictured him showing up on the scene as a mighty king, a warrior, right? That's the way they picture. The first person that would see him would be shepherds watching over the temple sheep from the tower of the lamb. This is what they thought would happen. And these specific shepherds that lived out there 24-7 watching these specific sheep, they would build such towers to watch over the sheep. And sure enough, that is the group that God shows up to, sent the message to that the Messiah was coming into the world. But let me tell you something else about them that causes the implication of this story to just jump off the page to me. That is this. In the same writings that had the laws about where the sheep could be uh, was this law. The shepherds who kept the sheep for sacrifice were forbidden themselves to sacrifice in the temple. Because they were outside with sheep 24 hours a day, they, according to the rabbis and the religious leaders, were never able to get to the point where they were ceremonially clean enough to enter the temple which meant they could not, through the system that existed, gain atonement for their sins. So here's the irony of this entire situation. The irony is that every day of your life, if you're one of these shepherds, every single day, you're walking around behind these sheep. You're birthing these sheep. You're feeding these sheep. You're raising these sheep. You're protecting these sheep for people to gain atonement for their sins. But you yourself, because of what you're doing, do not get atonement for your sins. You're shut out of the system. Because of the system, you are ruled out, considered unworthy. And the religious leaders who profited from their work said to them, thank you for these important sheep you've raised that you've dedicated your life to doing that. But, 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 but you are not worthy. You are not allowed in. You must carry the burden of your sins. So here's this group of people, right? Who had no formal religious routine, nothing that they followed, no pattern, right? Who are reminded every single day of their life through what they do, what God requires of them, who know what's necessary to get atonement, but yet at the same time have zero opportunity to do that. And as a result, have no idea where they stand with God. No idea. They don't know if they're in, if they're out. 
God likes them if he doesn't like them because they are not a part of the system. Yet that group, those people were the ones to whom God sent the angel to an effect to say, I want you specifically, you who have been shut out of the system, who don't know where you're standing with God, I want you to be the first to know. And I wanna give you the first opportunity of anybody to see him. And all you have to do is come. You don't have to get cleaned up. You don't have to go to the temple first. You don't have to go through the process, just come. I mean, isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me. Maybe I didn't tell it good enough. It's amazing. Take my word for it, right? He keeps going, verse nine, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid as if that was all they needed to relax. (laughs) In the history of history, has anybody looking at anybody and telling them to calm down caused that person to calm down? No. So these guys who are terrified of what's going on, just saying, don't be afraid. I don't think it's going to do the trick. But the angel says, I bring you good news. Now imagine what they're feeling in that moment. Right, imagine it. They had no idea where they stood with God. Then for a second, they thought God himself was showing up as that bright light in the middle of the night appeared. And that, as we said last week to them, was anything but good news. You don't want to hear directly from God. They were not ready to meet God. And then look at what the angel says. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Even you. Even you who are trapped out of the system, who are not worthy to take part, who have not been eligible to have your sins atoned for, who don't know where you stand with God, all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, do you know why I love this story so much? Uh, Because in my life, and I'm sure in your life, if you had the opportunity to sit down and think about it, or if I gave you the microphone and you got to start talking, right? there was a time, and for some of you, that time may be now or fairly recently, where you maybe weren't real sure where you stood with God. You didn't know. I mean, there was the systems and the churches and all that, and you kind of did that, but like some of it made sense, but then some of it didn't, and then some of the people in the system didn't seem to be what they claimed to be, and you know, maybe how much reality is there in any of it, and there are times when you didn't know where you stood with God, and the message here that gets delivered in this story is this. God's grace is so big, his grace is so broad and so wide that nobody, no matter what you've done, can get outside of it. That's how large the grace of God is. And God, on purpose, uses this moment to say when the Savior shows up, all, and he didn't list any exceptions, not a one, all are welcome. What I am giving, this gift of grace, this gift of you don't owe me anymore was available and for Everyone, bar none, to those of you who have been alienated by the system, 
To those of you who are sure you can't live up to the standard, to those of you who have been told you'll never measure up, to those of you who have tried to perform and failed over and over and over again as you've tried to live up to some out random bar that somebody somewhere behind a pulpit has set. <laughs> the good news is this, is that there is a standing invitation to come and see your savior, Jesus Christ. Now think about all of the people that this announcement could have been made to. Right, think about the impact that this announcement had. You know, if this announcement had been shown, had the angels had shown up above the temple in the city of Jerusalem and spoken to the religious leaders, it begins now. I mean, imagine the people who would have seen that and how fast the word would have spread. Imagine if the angels showed up to the political leaders, <laughs> appeared to Pilate in that moment, all the bright light, the Messiah of the Jewish people is coming. It begins now. Imagine the ramifications that would have had through the Roman Empire. Imagine if that angel would have shown up to the wealthy and the influential in the city. Those who carried weight, those who people listened to and paid attention to and followed what they said. Imagine how quickly the word would have spread had the angels showed up. But there they were, those shepherds, in the middle of nowhere, alienated, confused, caught in a catch-22 system where the system depended on them, but they weren't allowed to be a part of the system. And God was saying, I want you to be the first to know. And I want you to be the first to see. All you have to do is get up and come to Bethlehem. Now, maybe there's some of us here, you know, that currently maybe we don't know really exactly where we stand with God. Right? You may believe in God and you've heard all of this and, you know, this has kind of been like a, you know, this kind of working in the background kind of foundation of religious thing that's kind of been in your life, but eh, not really grasp hold of it. You know, maybe you look at other people who claim to be Christians and you think, ah, I can never be that good. I can never live. If that's what it is, count me out. Maybe you look at your lifestyle, some of the things you're doing, you know, and you think, well, you know, I, I, may not, I may not know exactly where I stand, but I know there's some distance between me and God right now. I just want to say that that invitation extended to those shepherds that night, right, that is a standing invitation to all of us no matter where we are in our relationship with God, just come and see. Just come and see. Don't, don't, don't get all religious first. Don't try to clean yourself up. Don't try to change everything. Don't try to act the way you think God wants you to act. Just come. Just come. And I say, yeah, 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 but, but, but I've got all this stuff going on in my life. And I've got all, if, if, if you were to know what is going on in my life, like, I don't know if I would be very welcomed here. Certainly God might not be very close to me. But the thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion, when Christianity is done in the way that Christ intended it to be done, is that the whole thing hinges on something that was done for you, not something you have done. That is what sets it aside from every other religion. Our relationship with God is based on what God has done for us. It does not hinge on our actions and what we do 
whether they are right or not. God gave up on us getting it right a long time ago. Do you know why? Because we can't get it right. We can't get it right. We're not God. And so he sent Jesus to get it right for us. And through that process, glory would be given to God and the gift of peace would be given to mankind. When it comes down to it, it is about exactly what the shepherds did that night. They heard the message from the angels. They believed and they responded appropriately to what they believed. Now there are... I imagine if I were to talk to all of you that there's probably a lot of different stages that we're all in, in our spiritual journey. And that means there's a lot of different responses to this message of this is good news for everyone. Just come, right? For some people, maybe, maybe some of you in the room, maybe some of you watching, you know, maybe you need to take that very first step and just be like, okay, God, I'm finally, for the first time, I'm going to surrender my life to you and follow you. Maybe some of us need to get alone with God and be like, yeah, I've been all about the ritual part of it and doing the churchy part of it. But give me the courage to get past that to the relationship part of it for it to have an effect in my life. Some of us have been at this a really long time, this whole church and religious thing. And maybe we've gotten to the point where we just kind of take the whole thing for granted. It doesn't really mean much to us anymore. And we get need, need to get back to seeing Jesus as our first love and back to pursuing intimacy with God because that is the message of Christmas. The good news that no matter who you are and where you're at and what you're doing, you are eligible, welcomed. The good news is for you. It begins what is getting ready to happen through Christ is God saying, you don't owe me anymore. I've wiped your slate clean, which opens up the avenue to relationship with God. So we all may not be as shut out as the shepherds were, but we've all got our thing. So as we go through this week, allow that part of the message, the who they showed up to and gave that message to, to resonate within you as what the Christmas message means for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are not a God of the powerful, a God of the wealthy, a God of the influential. But Lord, you are a God of the downtrodden, a God of the isolated, a God of the abused, a God of those who have been shut out. And Lord, I pray that as we get deep into this Christmas season, Lord, that we not lose sight of what this message really means for us functionally. That no matter where we are in our life, this message is for us and it is a good message that we are worthy of relationship with you. That our standing has been elevated. We are no longer in a debt-debtor relationship. We don't owe you anymore through the person of Christ. You cleared our debt. 
Lord, let that allow us to cause us to approach you confidently to begin to have that type of intimate relationship that you created us to have with you. Lord, I thank you for your mercy, for your grace, and for Christmas. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much uh, for being out today. Uh, Look forward to next week as we have our Christmas service and then our Christmas party. Uh, But I hope you all have a wonderful week. Hey, one, two, hey, 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 hey. I replaced this cable. I rip. Hey, 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 hey.